New Way Singers, you guys are so good. Thank you for being with us. I love their voices more than anything. I just love watching them worship. Uh, I just love, love seeing men and women that are on fire for God. Good to see all of you today in worship. We've started a new message series a couple of weeks ago entitled Reflect. We're talking about what it means to be mature disciples of Christ. Uh, Christ saved you for a purpose, and that purpose was to make you like him. Scripture makes that plain from beginning to end. The Christian life is a process of changing and transformation. It's a lifelong process. It begins at the moment when you call upon Jesus' name, but it doesn't end until you see him face to face and in an instant become exactly what he is. That's what the scripture says. But in other words, our Christian life is this life of constant progress and growth and transformation. And unfortunately, so many people who call themselves Christians are not involved in a life that looks anything like that. So we're trying to stop and talk about that as a church and talk about the attributes of Christian discipleship. What makes a mature Christian? We've been using the acronym REFLECT for that. R-E-F-L-E-C-T. The R stands for relationship. We've been talking about that from beginning. The relationship with God first, but then our relationship with others. The E is for evangelism. We talked about that last week. The responsibility for disciples to make other disciples and especially to lean into the next generation with evangelism. The F stands for fruit of the Spirit, which we talked about last Sunday night. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I think that's all of them. The fruit of the Spirit. These are the character traits that Christ forms in us when we give him our, our entire lives. Today we're going to talk about L. The L is for listening. Listening. Now when it comes to being a disciple, let's define some terms. A disciple, very simply, as we've been de- descri- describing it, is one who follows Jesus to become like him. One who follows Jesus and becomes like him. You don't separate those two things. When you follow Jesus, it is a transforming, life-changing life. One who follows Jesus and becomes like him. The second word is the big word we use in church sometimes. The word discipleship is the word for that process. It's a process of believers who love and invest in one another. Now, we said it's relationship. It's relationship with Christ first. But we cannot possibly separate everybody else who is in Christ when we are joined to Christ. It makes us all join together. And that means we have a tremendous influence and responsibility toward one another. Process of believers who love and invest in one another in order to reach maturity in Christ. This is what discipleship is. This is what our church is all about. As I've been saying over and over and over, the one mission, the one commission Jesus gives the church is to go into the whole world and Make disciples. That's what we do. If we don't do that, no matter what else we accomplish, we fail. We are here to make disciples. So we're talking about what it means and what it looks like to be a disciple. Today we're going to talk about listening. Let let me uh, put this idea in front of you, then we'll go straight to the Scripture. Listening, the mature believer listens to God in the Word, in Scripture, and in prayer. Now, You'll notice I'm not just saying that today a mature believer reads the Bible because a lot of people read the Bible and they're not growing into maturity. They're not changing at all. A lot of people actually pray, but they're not praying in such a way where Christ gets inside them and begins to transform them. So we're using that word listen. When you come to the word, when you come to the prayer, it's a relationship of listening to God. This listening is characterized by a deep delight and an instant obedience, delight and obedience. We want to talk about listening to God today. And for that, open your Bible to the book of 1 Samuel. 
1 Samuel chapter 3. This is a great passage. This is literally one of the passages for my life. It has meant so much to me all through my years. 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're going to read just those first verses. Notice that in this passage, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Samuel learns to listen. 1 Samuel chapter 3. The boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli, the priest. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. He said, here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls you again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Two uh, old men were talking over coffee the other morning. One of them started talking about his wife. He said, my wife, I'm worried about her. She, she talks to herself. The other guy said, well, you know, my wife talks to herself too, but she just doesn't know it. She thinks I'm listening. <laughs> Obviously, communication is ingredient to relationship. In any relationship you can name, whether it's with parents, whether it's with friends, spouses, children, whatever, every relationship depends upon that ability to speak the truth in love and to listen, to hear. And in any relationship, when that communication breaks down, the relationship breaks down. Everything sort of turns upon relationship, on communication. And that's especially true when it comes to your relationship in Christ. You simply have to be able to hear his voice, to have a relationship where you can talk to God and also hear him talk to you. That is the, the central nerve of discipleship. You have to have communication. Now, I would say that in my life as a pastor, in my ministry with, with many of you, it's one of the things I hear more than anything else from people that they will frequently say, Brother Tim, I don't feel like I hear God speak to me. I, I don't feel like he talks to me. He apparently talks to other people, but, but, but I don't hear and I understand the, the real frustration that comes with that because, like I said, if there's no communication with God, it's very difficult to think about a relationship with God. It, it is the central nerve of discipleship to be able to hear God's voice. So, so let's talk about that. Why is it difficult for some of us to hear? And for that, we go straight to this passage. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 sets up the entire story with these words, in those days... A word from the Lord was rare. 
In those days, messages from the Lord were rare and visions were very uncommon. Okay, why do you think that is? Why would you possibly think that there was a period of time in the history of God's people when they weren't hearing God speak? How do you explain that? God is the inventor of communication. God invented all of it. He invented our ears. He invented our souls. God knows how to speak to us. And God knows how to be heard. So what is it that's breaking down if you can say that in those days nobody was hearing a word from the Lord? probably a complicated answer, but at least part of the answer has to come down to the man named Eli. Now remember, in this story, Eli is the priest, which means he is the man of God. He is the one who is supposed to be able to go before God and come back with the word of God for the people. That's what the priest would do. So if in this particular day, nobody's hearing a word from the Lord, you have at least got to look at Eli and wonder what's wrong with this man. Why is the priest not hearing a word from God? Why is he not bringing a word from God? Something is profoundly wrong here with Eli. If you read through 1 Samuel, you'll find out right away that Eli is never ever portrayed as an evil man. He's not wicked. He's never ever depicted as a man who is in deep sin or, or obstinate, nothing like that. It's just that Eli becomes a man who's just mostly inept. He's, he just sort of becomes useless. I started in chapter 3. If you go back to chapter 1 and chapter 2, you'll find that, that as, as the story of Samuel begins, you have to go all the way back to Eli and talk about his sons. I said last week that passing the faith along, that reaching back to the next generation is one of our most important responsibilities. This is the one thing Eli fails to do, and it destroys him, and it ruins God's plan for his life. Eli is at that point in his own ministry, his own life, when he should be ready to pass the priesthood along to his sons. But Eli's sons are orangutans. Eli's sons are wicked. Read the scripture. It says that they perverted and polluted the worship of God right there in the temple. They sort of took advantage of the people. When the people would bring their offerings to God, Eli's sons would always find a way to take part of that for themselves. They were in it for themselves, and they absolutely destroy worship in the temple because they do not have hearts for God. Now, one way or another, you've got to point back to their father there. Eli has not managed in trying to lead all of God's people to God. He hasn't managed to lead his sons to God. And it is a horrible, horrible tragedy. But maybe the biggest part of this tragedy is that everybody in the world knows that Eli's sons are not faithful. And Eli himself knows that his sons are not faithful. And God himself has warned Eli about the consequences of letting these boys run like this, but Eli does nothing. Again, I can't point to any place where Eli does something wrong, but he does nothing when he ought to do something. And that in itself destroys his life of faithfulness, and it robs him of his future with God. Because see, at any point when you need to do something for God and you choose to do nothing, you just sort of push the pause on your own spiritual life. But there's no such button. Understand what I'm saying? 
At any moment when you stop following after the Lord, then that relationship with the Lord is, is broken. And so Eli is no longer following God. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what's in his heart. He just no longer follows God. And so at that point, God is going to move on without him. You see, God has a future, and he's always calling us into his future. But at any point you stop following, understand, your future with the Lord is gone. He will move on without you, and God is just going to move on. And this is what the story of Samuel is about. There's going to be a new priest, there's going to be a new future, and it does not include Eli. And that's Eli's choice. He stopped listening. He stopped following. So God's going to move on. That's where Samuel comes in. Samuel's the little boy who literally grows up in the presence of God, literally grows up in the temple. It's a beautiful story. This particular night, it says Samuel is, is literally sleeping by the ark of God. He's sleeping in the presence of God. And the lamp of the Lord is still on. It's that picture of God still alive. The light's still shining. God's still moving. Samuel hears a voice. What's the voice simply says, Samuel calls his name. Samuel's just a kid. He's never really learned to discern God's voice before. So when he hears a voice, he immediately just runs into Eli and says, did you call me? Eli says, no, I'm going back to bed. So Samuel goes back to bed. You know the story that happens multiple times. God calls, but Samuel hears the voice, but he doesn't know how to discern the voice. You know what I'm saying? He can hear, but he hasn't learned to listen yet. Now, Eli, for all the things he doesn't do, he does one thing right in this story, and it's beautiful. He teaches Samuel how to listen to God. Now, what's the key? What's the key to listening to God? Because Eli teaches it to Samuel right here. That last time, Samuel comes in and says, did you call me? And Eli realizes that it is God calling Samuel. So what does he do? He says, Samuel, you go back to bed. You keep listening. And next time you hear that voice, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's the key. That's the key. If you go back to John chapter 10, Jesus speaks of his people. He speaks of us in terms of a flock. And he says, I know my sheep. They know me. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep. Sheep, hear my voice. So if you feel like you don't hear, why don't you hear? I think it comes down to exactly what Eli teaches Samuel. It's, it's an attitude of listening, and this is the attitude that many of us miss. Eli says, when you want to hear God's voice, you just simply say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. It's that word servant that I would really zero you in on. Because that's what makes the difference. It's an awareness of a relationship with God, but the relationship has a particular order. This isn't like any other relationship that you'll ever know. Not, not anywhere on earth, not with any person. This is different. God is God. God will always be God. And in a relationship with God, you will have to submit to him. 
And this is the thing about hearing God's voice. He sort of requires one thing up front, and that is your submission. He is God. And so Eli teaches Samuel, when you hear God's voice, you respond, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. It's this attitude that I am a servant. That means you are the master. I am the servant. You are the master. And it changes the way you would listen for God's voice. In other words, you listen as a servant awaiting orders. You listen as a servant waiting for instructions. Many of us don't listen to God in this way. We listen to God just to maybe find out what he might say. We think it could be interesting to know what God thinks. And so we'd like for God to speak so we could sort of consider God's opinion among all the other things that we're considering. But you'll never hear God's voice when you just want to hear his voice among the other voices that you care about. God speaks when the servant's listening. Understand? I want to get this principle deep into you. When the servant is listening, the master speaks. When the servant is listening, the master speaks. Your problem is not that God isn't speaking to you. Your problem is that you are unwilling to listen and obey. Instant obedience. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Do, do you understand at all what I'm saying? It, it's an attitude of submission. It's recognizing that God has the authority to command your life. And so if he's going to speak, you're going to listen, but not just listen to hear, you're going to listen to obey. This is what makes the difference. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Obedience is assumed. But when we talk about a relationship with God and we use this, this, this relationship of master and servant, for some of you, that sounds horrible. Because for you, staying in control is the most important thing to you. Being able to order your own life, being able to be your own boss, being able to call your own shots, just absolutely thinking that you are large and in charge, that matters more than anything else. And the idea that God wants you to submit... The idea that God is asking you to surrender is devastating to you, and it's exactly why so many of us never really become true disciples. We're not willing to give up control. But you're looking at this wrong. Yes, you have to give up control. Absolutely, you have to surrender. That is absolutely what God requires, but you don't understand how much God loves you. You don't understand what an amazing master he is. You don't understand what he sees. You don't understand how much he loves you. You don't understand that he and he alone knows what he put inside of you. You want him to order your life. You want him to give you instructions. He knows the way for you. This is not a relationship of drudgery. It's not a relationship of misery. This is a relationship of utter delight. It, it, it's, it's delight. Yes, it's a relationship of servant to master, but he is such a good and gentle and loving, gracious master. Look what Psalm 37 verse 4 says. I mean, just understand that this is a relationship with God we're describing. And the first word used here is Delight. It's a relationship of, of delight. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give. So you're thinking that he's going to take everything away from you, that he's going to take all the good things and, and put you out somewhere. He is going to give you the desires of your heart. 
Delight yourself in the Lord. Bottom line, if you have not found delight in the Lord, you don't know him. You don't know him. He's delightful. There's so much beauty and grace and goodness in him. If you don't understand this, if you don't find delight in him, you don't know him. Honestly, I, I, I've been in church my whole life. I've known a lot of church people. I've been through hours and hours and hours of, of, of singing and worshiping. And I have to say, so often when I am with church people and I'm even leading worship, sometimes even looking into your faces, I don't see delight written across there. It's just not often delight. I know that you can't always look a person in the face and know what's on their heart, but honestly, if you spend a lot of time with a lot of church people, church people aren't always very delightful. And there's something wrong with that because we serve a God who is delightful, beautiful, sweet. If you don't know how to delight in him, you don't know him. And the best way to measure the delight factor in your spiritual life would be to look at your prayer life. Because remember, every relationship sort of depends upon communication. And, and prayer is that language of relationship with God. Prayer is not just knocking on heaven's door and telling him what you want. That's not prayer. It's the language of dependence, absolutely. It's the language of, of one who's fallen in love with the master. We just come with our hearts open just to, just to bask in the beauty of his great heart. I mean, it's delightful. And prayer is supposed to be this relationship. It's not just bringing God the list of things you want. No, it's listening for God. Listening as a servant listens for instructions. Listening as one waiting for the next order. But there's such delight in that. Because when you know God and love God, to obey him is delight. It's not drudgery. You know that God leads you in the path that's best for you. So you're eager to hear that word and eager to obey. Your prayer life will always tell. So, so honestly, if you don't pray, there's probably no relationship there. Let's just be honest. There's no communication there. What's the basis of relationship? And if the communication itself is not characterized by delight and obedience, then again, I'm wondering, who are you talking to? I mean, the Lord, the Master? This relationship is one of, of delight. We listen in order to hear words from one we love. But how does, how does he speak? Well, primarily through his word. Let's just break it right down. Let me give you this. The Bible itself is the primary medium, the primary way that God uses in order to instruct and command your life. The Bible is the primary means that God uses to instruct and command your life. Now, this is why some of us don't do too well in Bible reading, because we read the Bible for other purposes. Sometimes we read it just to find the verse we love best, or we're just kind of looking through to find a good verse to put on our, our Facebook page so other people can like it. That's not exactly what the Bible's for. The Bible is to command and order your life. So when you read the Bible, basically, you are looking, you're asking the question, how must I change in order to be more like Christ? You're looking for orders, for instructions. You're looking for a word not to enjoy, but to obey. 
It's a servant listening to the master's voice. And he speaks often to us in Scripture, primarily through Scripture. So why is it so hard for some of us? I mean, it's just reading. Why do we struggle? I'll give you a couple of ideas. First off, the devil, the devil, your spiritual enemy, he does not want you to read the Bible. And so the moment you step in front of the pages of the Word, he goes to work. He's going to confuse your mind. He's going to distract you. He's going to remind you that you need milk and eggs. He's going to make sure that your kids begin to fight and scream. I mean, he is going to make sure that you don't get through your reading because he doesn't want you in that relationship with God. He doesn't want you listening to God. So understand, it's a spiritual battle that you begin every single time you open the word and try to read. The the devil goes to work right then. But even if the devil didn't show up, we'd still struggle. We just would. Because the scriptures say that that our minds as sinners are are sort of natural fleshly minds. And the Bible is, is spiritual food. It's a spiritual word. And the natural mind really can't comprehend what the spirit says. And this is why often you have to stay with it. You have to make this your way of life so that you grow in this spirit, so that the Holy Spirit can transform your mind more like Christ, so that you can begin to digest spiritual things. Bottom line is some of you quit way too early. You quit before the Holy Spirit can begin to work and alter your mind so that you can really begin to digest spiritual food. On top of that, Bottom line, none of us likes to feel judged. I don't like to feel criticized. I always want to see myself in the best possible light. Book of James says that the Bible is like a mirror that will show you your true face. And this is what I'm saying. You don't want to see that. I don't either. I don't like to be shown my faults. I don't like to be shown my sins and my shortcomings. But the Bible will do that to you. The Bible will lay open your heart. It's like a two-edged sword, you understand? And it'll slice you. And most of us just aren't up for any slicing today. So we avoid it. We just avoid it. But it's God's word. It's God speaking to us. You wonder why it is that God never talks to you, but you never ever open the book. You never really read it listening for a word to your heart from God's heart. The, the Bible is the, is the primary way. doesn't work if you don't read it, though. It's just a couple of things, and we're talking still about listening through the word and prayer. Let's start right here. Don't listen. When I say listen, we're talking about scripture and prayer primarily. Don't listen in order to feel something. Listen in order to be told how you must change. Don't listen. In other words, don't expect in your prayer life always to feel something. The goal is not that you would feel something. When you read the Bible, you're not just looking for the story that you love best, something that just might bless your heart. You understand? God's probably more interested in changing the way you live than in just blessing your heart. Understand? So when you read the Bible, when you pray, don't read in order to feel something. You may never feel anything, and then you'll think it's a failure. Instead, constantly listen in order to be told how you must change. And the moment, the instant God shows you how you must change, you obey. Understand? You change. Because here's the second point. You never tell him no. You never tell God no. Remember, you are the servant. He is the master. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You don't tell him no. 
You have no right to tell him no. He is the authority. He has authority to command you. He doesn't just offer opinions or helpful advice to you. He gives you instructions. He gives you commands. And when you're commanded, you obey. It is a delightful relationship, I promise you, but only delightful when you obey. Don't ever tell him no. Who do you think you are to tell him no? But because here's the thing, the instant you refuse to take the next step with him, the instant you refuse, you cut the central nerve of discipleship. Now remember, discipleship is a life of following after Christ. You follow Christ in order to become like him. The instant you refuse to take the next step, you're not following anymore. Do you get that? You're not following if you're not obeying. You cut the central nerve of discipleship and you will cease to hear a new word from him. When the servant is listening, the master speaks. The moment you stop obeying, you're not listening anymore and you won't hear his voice. You don't ever tell him no. Honestly, for a lot of people, they'll say, Brother Tim, I haven't, I haven't heard God's, I, I don't feel like God speaks to me. I don't feel like I've heard his voice in years. If I could talk to you personally, I would probably ask, what do you feel like is the last time you heard his voice? Was there ever a time when you felt God speaking to you? And you'd probably say, yeah, you know, at some point. Some of you watch these young people on this stage, and you go back to a time in your life where you loved God like they seem to love God. And it hurt you a little bit today to watch their passion because you've lost that. I'd just take you back and ask you, when's the last time you did Believe you were hearing God's voice, and, and what did he ask you to do? What did he say to you then? And, and my big question would be, did you do that? Back when God used to speak to you, did you obey him? Because I'm telling you, in the instant you refuse to take the next step with him, that's the moment when you cut the nerve of discipleship. You did that. I don't think you're going to hear anything else. So you go back to the last thing you heard, and you obey that. You, you, you listen to him. You listen. One more thing, just one more thing. Everything you desire from Christ is found along this path of obedient listening. This is the good news. Everything you want in your life, the joy, the happiness, the peace, everything that you crave and everything that you crave out of your life in Christ, this is where it's found. The path of obedient listening. Back to the Gospel of John, what Jesus says once more. Jesus says this, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my, say the word, love. And I have told you these things so that you will be filled with, say the word, joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Notice how Jesus puts these words together. They're not words that seem to go together for us. But Jesus takes this word, obey. You obey my commandments. You obey. And then he connects that to love and joy. Not just any kind of joy, but his joy, and it's going to overflow. I promise you this is everything you want in life, and it's right here. You want love. You want joy overflowing. This is what you crave. But Jesus says all of these things come from one path of life, and it's the path of obeying him. Obedient listening, everything you want, everything you crave, everything you're missing right now, you're missing because you're not listening and you're not obeying his commandments, you're not following the path that he lays out for you. 
Samuel heard that voice in the night. He could hear it, but he didn't know how to listen. There's one thing Eli ever did right. He gave that boy lessons in listening. Go back to bed. Go back to bed. Lay there and listen. And say, speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. When the servant is listening, the master speaks. You understand? You must learn to listen. Pray with me. God, some of us would have to say that we got ears to hear, but we don't know how to listen. Lord, we like to listen when you tell us things that make us feel good. We like to listen when you tell us things that make us feel like we are already doing everything exactly right. We don't like to be shown that we are wrong. We don't like to be shown for the sinners that we are. We don't want to see the ugliness of our heart. Lord, whenever you speak, you speak from above. You speak as the master. You speak as the one who knows all and can do all. And Lord, that puts us in a very, very small place. We like to sometimes think that we know all, and we like to think that we are capable of everything. And Lord, it's very, very difficult for us to just give up control to you. Lord, that desire to stay in control is precisely what keeps us from following you hearing your voice. If it's true that the master speaks when the servant is listening, then Lord Jesus, turn us back to you. Help us, Lord, to remember the delight that is a part of relationship with you, uh, the, the delight and pleasure that's a part of living in fellowship and obedience before you. Remind us, Lord, how freeing it is to live a life of instant obedience to whatever it is you ask us to do. Lord, there are people in this house, or young people in this house maybe, who, who have a sense of what you want them to do, but Lord, they just simply will not say yes to you. Lord, I just pray in the final moments of this worship service will be a house full of servants saying yes to you, whatever it is you have for us, Lord. You just speak. And your servants will listen. Speak, Lord. And your servants will listen. Pray these things in the precious, delightful name of Jesus. Amen. Stand together. I want to give you a chance to respond to the voice of the Lord. The altar's open if you wish to come forward and pray. If you have a public decision to make, I'm at the front to receive you. If you have a physical need for healing, deacons will meet you over on the baptistry side to pray for you as the Bible says. Whatever your need, listen to the voice of the Lord and follow where he leads you today. Please, as we sing.
Thank you.